Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub. I'm your host, Cody Ojeda, and we've got the OG crew back today. It is me and uh, your favourite co-host, Matt Olson. Matt, how are you today? Yeah, thanks to uh, Rally Dobson for filling in uh, <laughs> fortnight ago. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely helped having a co-host. Well, okay, Riley wasn't co-hosting the show, she was a guest, but I, what I mean is... Uh, you know, it must have been nice having some company that wasn't me to actually talk double with. Well, look, Riley was a hoot. If you haven't checked that episode out, go check it out now. Um, well, after this, That's listen probably. to this one first. Listen to us two talk first. But um, no, Riley was a fantastic guest. A lot of insight into, especially her time in the A-League women's and obviously, uh, what do you say, probably a more professional background into what we were talking about as well. Definitely had some some stuff to say about Newcastle, which we actually will be talking about today and hopefully very soon. Oh, you know, what? we're going to start with the Newcastle Jets because it probably hasn't got much better. Um, well, it depends how you look at it. They did have a two-all draw against Adelaide, and it looks like that has been enough to show the Newcastle Jets board that Gary Van Egmond deserves an extension. Um, I don't know what you think about this, Matt. We This is actually something we spoke about in the last pod, and we weren't sure if this would be the direction that they'd go in. And, well, if it was the right direction for them to go in, but it's the direction that they've chosen... And yeah, I guess if you make your bed, you lay in it. We can only see what's going to happen next. Look, I, I think I, I, again, like, I don't like disagreeing with you and I don't think I disagree as much as I, I'm just adding another perspective on this, but where I think, where I think you've got to be careful with your approach to this is that you're sort of looking at it from the perspective of like, he, he's the coach and he's appointed as the coach when we know, as a matter of fact, that that's, it's not actually what his role is. I understand he's been given a contract extension to, to be the coach, but you have to understand that he pretty much runs the entire program from, from top to bottom, right? And that's that's pretty much what he's going to be there to do. He's going to be there to be a director who, because of financial circumstances, let's not forget that the Newcastle Jets don't have an owner um, for, you know, just day-to-day administrative reasons. He is going to be there to, to, to be the director of football who happens to be the coach. It's not... It's not something where, you know, they were going to actually conduct a thorough search and think about who is a good tactical manager. They just don't don't work that way as a club, and they certainly don't work that way in the foot, foot female um, football department, right? So, look, I, th- I think it's hard because you, you want to obviously talk on the pitch and you want to talk about the results and you want to talk about the points and you want to talk about the team's progress, right? But, Cody, I mean, to, to me, like, it's just – it's not – we, should, we don't we don't sit here and talk about beds being made and and you know shit being in the bed with us. I, I think we just we just have to look at it from the perspective of okay, they want to take a safe direction for the position that they're in as a club and for a position where you know the, the female football department, like many others in this country at the professional level, is is fairly neglected. So that's that's the one thing I would say um, in place of this appointment that that I, I just I don't actually have a problem with it on surface level, because I know exactly where the Jets are coming from to have made such a decision. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I understand 100%. I understand 100% what you mean. And there, look, like you said, there is two ways where you can look at it, where this is someone that is definitely very embedded in the club. So it's it's a safe appointment, 100%. But considering how Newcastle have been in the last few years, would they benefit from a brave appointment? We talked, um, there are a lot of coaches just saying the MPL New South Wales that are probably hoping for an A-League women's gig that probably wouldn't be hard to get in touch and probably wouldn't, and I don't want to, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, that wouldn't break the bank either. So for that to maybe not be explored 
could be a negative for them, but let's just say they did explore those options. They go with Gary Van Egmont in the end. It is someone that does have a lot of experience, especially in the men's game. Um, obviously, does understand the women's program from top to bottom. In a way, it could well, work. He doesn't just understand it. He runs it. He, he literally runs, that, runs course, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, I get, I get that. I get that. I'm just thinking, considering the situation they've been in, and he's been running it for the last few years where things have been kind of dire as well. So for me, it just says that they're kind of happy with how things are going and they're just wanting to kind of keep going on the same track they are. And is that something that Newcastle fan? Newcastle fans deserve at this stage. Maybe the fans don't, but I still think that the administrators and, you know, that the semblance of owners that there are, that literally being the APL, right? Like they they are happy with the status quo. And that's exactly what this appointment is. It's let's put in place the status quo until until we're able to fix other things going on. You know, we, we, we just, we can't afford, and I don't mean that, in the financial sense as much as I do the metaphorical sense, right? They, they can't afford to to run the football club in the best way possible. And and you you just, you need to stick with the status quo in, in a situation like that. And again, I think when you say that Gary Van Eggman isn't doing a good job, I think there's there's nuances and there's intricacies to that because, yeah, like he, maybe he's not doing a good job from the perspective of, yeah, they're not getting results and they have been quite quite poor in their execution um, as a female football program for for years and years and years. But I think that's also like, and again, I know because of salary caps and I know because of, you know, the franchise model, dare I use the dirty word, but like, I still just think that the Jets as a club, male or female, are just at the bottom of the food chain. And again, I know it goes against the ethos of what the A-League is there to do, but I still think that they are happy to just sit with the status quo and settle with who they are because it's who they are. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like you you wouldn't expect, if I can dare even make this kind of comparison, like in the, let me let me compare it to women's football in the um, the National Women's Super League. Someone like Leicester is, you know, bottom um, and they've had trouble racking up the points and they might be relegated. There has to come a time where they as a club kind of just settle with who they are and run with the status quo of, okay, we're probably a team that if we get to that level are going to be losing games 5-6-0 and are going to be thrashed and 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 we're going to you know go back down to the second division. I don't think it's called the championship. Is that the something that you settle is? for though in a salary, salary cut league? You mentioned that part before. When, when, when you don't have owners, <laughs> yes. Look, like I said, Newcastle Jets fans do deserve better than what they're getting at the moment and Having a local coach might be what they need. At the end of the day, I'll talk about the results that they're getting getting now. And I guess we've got to look at it from the perspective that this is Wilson's team still. Whether Van Egmont did have a strong part to play in that um, building, I don't know. We'll get. I guess we'll see how much he did have a say in how that squad was built when next season comes around and he's building a squad himself where he's not just the director of football, technical director, whatever you want to call it, but also the head coach and the one that's going to be working with these players day in, day out. So... What that effect has, I don't know. How that's going to look, I don't know. I'm purely judging it, and I will admit this because I know that's what you, what you were kind of suggesting before. I am purely judging this based on what I've seen so far. And what I've seen so far, I'm not impressed with. I think that's the best, the best way I can say it. And I'm lo- looking at it purely on the pitch because, like I said, Newcastle Jets fans deserve better on the pitch than what they're getting right now. And you don't fix that by playing the safe option as well. So that's why I would suggest looking somewhere else it, may, it doesn't even need to be a big name coach it could just be you know like a diamond in the rough no one knew who say 
Mark DeCasa was before West United uh, picked him up. And look how that's turned out. And Mariners, you talk about them coming in. They've got Emily Husband coming to coach them. She could very well be going down that same path. And you're talking about someone with very extensive knowledge of the NPL New South Wales women's and the potential she has to be picking up some other unknown gems like Western United did. There's potential for them to be very successful there. And you're talking about that rivalry that's about to build up. If Mariners come back into the league and straight away they're dominating Newcastle Jets, hopefully that's a wake-up call to the club. Obviously, we've got to understand the ownership situation, but even someone like Gary Van Egmont, who's so intertwined with the women's uh, football set up there, it could be a wake-up call for him to say, okay, we need to step up what we're doing here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that there's a lot to add, but I think um, I think what you'll find in, in, the, in the next sort of few years as the, as the, the, the dub expands is that the status quo will get you caught out, but I still think that the status quo in the immediate is the okay decision. Um, and I think you'll find that the Mariners setup is probably going to be run marketably better, but they intended that. And I think the Jets still intend to be where they are and they'll know themselves that it's not it's not the best. And I think you'll find that well, last time we actually spoke about Gary Van Egmont, I said that exact same thing. They they know it's not the best, but they know it's what will get them by. And, and that's what this comes down to. Well, at the end of the day, if they can stay afloat, that's probably a good thing in the short term. But long term, of course, they're going to need to really step things up. Anyway, the big news in the A-League Women's, which is actually what I wanted to start with before we went on this Newcastle Jets tangent, which we were going to talk about anyway. We just had a minor adjustment to the um, agenda. But Brisbane Raw, very, very um, good win for them against Western United. 2-0 win, obviously in their own backyard, but all the same. Fantastic result against one of the top teams in the league who we were just guessing up before. And they have had that result overturned now simply because they played a player that was meant to be suspended. The second time a situation like that has happened in the league this season after Canberra United played an oh made an ineligible sub. No, sorry, made an illegal sub. Ineligible player is the issue that's going on right now. So the fact that this had, had this has happened twice, I it confuses me, baffles me. There's clearly some administrative issue or some communication issue going on somewhere in the league. Obviously, the first issue was something that happened within the confines of a match, and by the sounds of things, was a debatable conversation between the fourth official and the Canberra United bench. This is one where. One, Brisbane Raw should be counting the yellow cards of players who are suspended. Two, the league should be sending out reminders um, to uh, clubs when players are meant to be suspended. I mean, we do every week they release the ins and outs of a squad. Wouldn't a suspended player come up in that? Wouldn't you check your own club's media release and say, oh, yeah, this player suspended. Better not put them on the bench. And C, you'd think the player themselves would know if they're meant to be suspended. They'd know how many yellow cards they have, although... If they've got a sneaky suspicion, they can get away with it. I guess they're not going to bring it up. But there's three chances for this issue to have been stopped. And the fact that none of them have brought it up and nothing has been flagged until after the game was finished, it baffles me. It, it really, really baffles me. Brody, this is um, this is really tin pot. Like, this is concerningly bad from an administrative perspective. It's, it's, it's horrible. I'm not even sure that I can form an opinion on most of it. Like, just do better. You it's know, it's you hard know. to go in depth because it's it's it is it's a very surface level conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. They, they should know how to keep track of this. Yeah, and I guess the the only in depth conversation you can have is how how the fuck has this happened? Uh, twice? How has it happened? How's it how's it happened? 
and and firstly when you talk about when you talk about like something like a media release for, for example or some kind of um you know squad uh uh selection material that is released during the week right there's always formalized dates in these types of competitions where you where you release that information but the thing is the a league and I know this because I speak to I speak to the pro the pro journos when when I'm at Glory all the time and and Ben Smith Justin Chadwick these guys tell me all the time there is no point in the A League doing these these releases and having the the submission dates because they always always end up being wrong and that's in the men's competition so in the women's competition where there's even less of an emphasis on that kind of stuff Cody can you imagine what goes on. But they they, they literally, I don't know if it's a case of, or we don't know that this person is is ineligible, or we don't know how many yellow cards that this person's on. I just refuse to believe that that's a thing. What I think it's a case of is people just getting around the rules because they know that there's never, ever in the history of the A-League been infrastructure in place for them to be punished when they when they make the selections and swap players around and bring players in who weren't formally selected, keyword formally selected. So there's always going to be ways around that, and and there's always been a way to um to change that in some way. That that being that being said, like what does it say about the competition? That infrastructure has never been in place. There's never been something to determine whether squads are doing the right thing, or there's never been a way to I guess report squads who don't who don't formally um select their team like but also the one thing i, I want to point out is so let me let me ask you let me phrase the question right if you were to formally select your squad of uh what 18 players how many how many bench players do they have in the dub i think it's four to five i'm pretty sure it's max five okay okay it's it's that it's that small okay so you're 16 you're 16 players what does it actually mean for there to be a formal submission of those 16 players to play from the Thursday when it's submitted, hypothetically, to the, the Saturday when they play? What, what does it actually mean for there to be a formal selection in place? The thing is, what I don't get is, and I've only seen a few clubs do this, just in the men's, where mm. they'll release a squad, and obviously with the men's, you can have up to 18 players in the match day squad. They always present 18 players are going to be in the squad, and then game day rolls around, and it's like, oh, this person wasn't selected in the squad. Yes. Now they're on the bench. What's going yes. on here? But that, but that's exactly why I'm asking. Just, well, just why wouldn't they the just select a the squad the of question. 22 or 24 and go, oh, we're going to admit four or six players. And then that way, you know, okay, this is the pool of players they're going to be selected. But selected, yeah, exactly. Or even even like the, the on-train uh, selection stuff with Nestory for the for the soccer roots. Maybe just have like a subliminary list or something. Because that way, even if it's formally submitted, the players are still technically there and available. Right, but but again, let me let me ask you the question because I know this is this is something that they get around in AFL forty and NRL forty as well. But again, just answer the question: What does it mean for you as a coach or as a football club with your release to confirm formally confirm a squad of sixteen players? Well, well it'd mean I'm tied down to the sixteen players two days before a match day if someone gets exactly. injured in the meantime. No, 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 exactly. That's exactly yeah. the answer I was looking for. That's, that's, that's what, exactly that, that is my what thinking as well, though. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't, and also the fact the fact that it's it's a formal submission. What what's binding? What is what is binding? What makes that the rule? Probably well, it's not nothing. Something to the right? league. It's just a media thing for no, no, fans to know who's in it's squad, just, isn't it? It's just a, it's just a piece of magical fantasy fucking information, right? It's not. It, it's literally for fantasy, isn't it? 
Yeah, there's there's nothing actually stopping it. It's just something that they do to be fancy and cool because the AFL and the NRL do it. Now, now let me go back to what I said. In AFL and NRL, and again, I'm not a journal at that level, of course, so I don't I don't know the fullest extent of it. But I think you'll find in those competitions because they're so much more professional with their infrastructure, they actually do have legally binding rules and documentation that says that is your squad of players. That will be your squad of players. But at our level. To be fair, Actually, with the, the NRL, they literally select their lineup and their bench two or three days yeah. out, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because because that's what they're required to do. That is if see for me that's we don't, we don't have... that that for me seems unnatural as well. And I'm I'm happy if we don't go down that path. But for fuck's sake, at least make players at least make teams go, this is the twenty that you need to select your squad from from a weekend. And that way you can cover for if someone gets injured. You can cover for if Someone from the league is reading it and going, oh, wait, this play is suspended. Let's make sure they don't play on the weekend. It's so simple. It is. It's very, very simple. The thing that irks me is we're trying to move into a position where we can professionalize the other women's competition, as it should. It's a great competition. And it's, I still believe, maybe not, uh, doesn't have a standing in world football as it used to, but it's still still a top league. It's It's still a league where you can get some of, the best female players in the world, and you're still getting some world-class footballers. Um, we've got Australian world-class footballers ourselves, someone like Courtney Vine. But if you're gonna make stupid mistakes like this, how can you how can you legitimately say this is a professional league and should be run as such if you're making mistakes like this? What professional yeah. league around the world in the space of two weeks has one issue where a team's made too many subs and another where a, sus- a player has been suspended and played? And I said, I have an example. I have an example of it happening at the international level. But when I say, when it, yeah, when I say this, you're going to realize I'm just being stupid and pedantic. But okay, I'm scared. Uh, there was a there was a game in the OFC between Tonga and Papua New Guinea. Uh, Tonga's bus arrived late, and they had to forfeit the game. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean. <laughs> Uh, the OFC is not a kettle of fish, but like, look, I love Oceanian football. I love Oceanian culture. I love that part of the world in general. Mm. Well, fuck me, the football can be sucky yeah, sometimes it, over there. But it's just. But we're it's not just... trying to be that with the LA women's. We're trying to be proper professional. Exactly. So, and I mean, but we we still and you know what it is. You know what it is. I think this is actually a fairly big talking point. Cultural isolation and geographical isolation means that we can't really. There's no competition that we have around us to put us to a higher standard, whereas, whereas especially from a women's perspective, the reason why Europe, European countries are all getting better is because they're all challenging each other to be better. Australia is in its, often its own little spot in the world, and it can get away with doing stuff like this. And what's what's the repercussions? What's the punishment? It's not like FIFA are going to put the hammer down and be like, oh, you, you really progressive country who really helps women's football glo- grow uh, you know, globally. What are you? What are you doing to to fix up your administrative side? No, they're not going to do that. FIFA will look at it if anything and just be like, "Yeah, as anything goes, it's it's whatever. You you run your league how you want to run your league because you stand for the values that we stand for." And that and that and that's like that's another part of it where we understand where we where we are in the Australian sporting and Australian sort of cultural landscape. So we don't we don't have to worry about being criticised for these kinds of things, but. That's where people like you and I come in, where we're we're independent sources, we're very knowledgeable about the game in Australia, and we see something like this, and we're like, can you can you not? Can you can you put yourself up to a higher standard? But there's no other force in the way that's telling them to be at a higher standard, and that's why things like this happen. 
That's the thing. They've got to be telling that these things themselves. Like, I understand, look, we're in a part of the world where, especially women's football, isn't massive. If you look at around, look around us, the only, I don't know how China's um women's football league is, I'll be honest, but they obviously their women's national team is pretty good. You got Japan a little bit further north. I know they've got a fairly strong women's league themselves, but it's not like the rest of Asia where you do have a strong football presence in the Middle East because women's football in that part of the world. Um, I'll move on from that topic actually, but the the matter of fact is we should we should just be better. We should be challenging ourselves to actually be better and push towards a professional standard because that has been the goal of this of women's football in this country. We are hosting a women's World Cup. The whole goal after that is um, having the league grow both in quality, in attendances, and in general professionalism. So we can pay footballers a proper livable wage at the very minimum and also in attendance in just grassroots football, more interest, more people playing it. If we are letting our standards slip in how we run the premier women's football competition in this country, what does that say to young participants who after the World Cup may want to go, okay, I want to play football, but then they're looking at how it's run. It's like, oh, we can win a game and have it oh, all already- on its head. They're already having that conversation because mum and dad get the bill for playing football. And it's like, I've got to pay that that's much. Another issue <laughs> that's, that's, another, that's another issue in itself. But the fact is, if we want a professional women's football in this country, we need to start running it like a proper professional women's football competition in this country. That is the only way we are going to move forward. And yeah. the longer we let mistakes like this just pass us by and go, oh, okay, mm. we'll move on now the longer it's going to take for us to actually reach that stage and to be taken seriously. Imagine yeah. if a, world, a worldwide out, outlook got their hands on that story that it happened like this in the space of two to three weeks. And that it happened so soon before it woke up. I can see the athletic doing a puff piece about this, honestly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they'd lap it up or they wouldn't lap it up. I'm pretty sure they're no, pretty. They don't, they don't want to take the piss out of us. Like they, took they don't the piss take out the piss out of, out of us, but they'd sit there and go, this isn't good enough. No. It's not like someone like maybe Bustle football. Oh, but hold who... on, but hold on, hold on, hold on. Devil's advocate for two seconds. Is that the standard that we need that I was talking about? Do we need English media to come in and tear us to, tear us to shreds? For us to the, the, wake the, up to the, ourselves the, and realise Let's realize not forget, that. hey, the Matildas are going to London to play a game. Uh, do you mean someone outside of Australia actually coming to yeah, us and saying, I mean, hey, if, we're not doing good enough? the English media came in and tore the system up to shreds and said, this is reason X, Y, Z, why... Australia need to be hosting a World Cup because from an administrative standard, they're dog shit. Oh, if, saying, it works, if, it if it happened, it'd be a nice wake-up call. It would be a nice wake-up call, but like you said, isolation does play part in that, and they probably don't even realise what's going on down here. But saying that... But no, but, but that's why I bring it, That's why I bring up the fixture in London, because we're about to host a World Cup and we're about to go over there. Maybe someone gets... Maybe some of this information flutters through. Maybe, maybe, there's some female, maybe there's a female football writer the athletic female? sitting in her apartment somewhere in, I don't know, Chelmsford or something, and she's going, huh. To be fair, there's a whole worldwide women's football um, media outlet, Impetus Football. The guy that mm. runs it is very embedded in early women's football, but I'm pretty sure he's based in England. So they they know about this. Okay. It'd be nice if they got the word out there. Someone's got to hold us accountable. Okay. And clearly we can't do it ourselves. But look, we'll move on from this topic because... Yeah. Believe it or not, I actually do hate being negative about Australian football. It's fun to talk about, wow. but it does suck. You know, you know, the first, what, like 10, 15 minutes of this show have just been us talking about the negative administrative aspects of women's football. We, we're just such great advocates, aren't we? <laughs> we do it because we love it. We do it because we want to see the league grow. We do it because we want it to be better than what it is. And not to say it's a great league. It's a great league. 
Yeah, conversations like this are the reason I remember that the world game literally used to be a three-hour-long show on the SBS in the 90s. Even though we're meant to be 45 minutes, but that never happens. Look, we'll move on, and there is a lot of movement going on in the A-League women. Um, contrary to what I was trying to say about three, four, five, six weeks ago now, maybe, um, it does look like the top four race is finally done and dusted. Looks like if Canberra do get their appeal, maybe it opens up again. But now we're getting to really, really intricate details. So, Matt, maybe you were right. Maybe, but like I don't want to lap it up until all is said and done. Because if anything, I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, let's let's not have the argument yet. Let's let's not try and say that someone's won or someone's lost. Because you still look at Canberra and Perth as football teams, and you still really like what they have on offer. So, you want to have that conversation, Cody? I'm I'm all ears, and I'm I'm ready to talk. Look, I actually do want to have that conversation about Canberra and Perth because it's two sides that, look, if it was a top six and we're talking about top six final series, you're looking at two sides that wouldn't just be there to make up numbers and go, oh, okay, yeah, we can add another semifinal in. You're talking about two sides that would push who was above them for those um, elimination final spots and Mm. would push maybe for a grand final position. They might not get there, but they definitely... They definitely make the most of the opportunity that would have been presented in front of them. But we'll talk about the two sides in how their season's gone because both of them, in a way, like there's been upsides and downsides to both of them, but it's two sides that definitely can hold their heads up high this season, even if they do eventually miss out on the finals. Yeah, I think I think they tell two different tales. They're very similar in that they're probably classed as inconsistent, but I think with with Canberra is very much a case of like very glaringly obvious inconsistencies. You would rock up one day, win four nil. You could rock up another day, lose five nil. Um, and when that kind of bipolar form is, is happening in any sporting team, it's just sort of grounds for solid mediocrity, right? Um, you know, they're positive sides. We, we know, we know the veteran presence. We know, you know, the, the talent that's in the team. And to be fair, you look at Perth and you could probably say the same thing. I think, you know, where the individual strengths are, one thing I would say that makes Perth different is they had the really strong objection of Riley Bayston going out with her ACL. Um, and by all, by all reports, Riley's actually doing really well for herself at the moment. Um, whether she plans to come back or not, I, I still don't know, but I'm I'm hoping she will she will come back to a, a culture that was really built around her and built around her well. It'd be interesting um, to see. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Could, no, go ahead. It'd be interesting to see how that Perth side would go. Because obviously they grew, they grew, they got better as the season went on. I don't think yeah. it was the case of, well, I don't want to say her coming out of the side and then them raising had any correlation, but mm. it looked like they were slowly building, and it'd be interesting to see how well they could build if she was there. But I think, you look at them I now; they're coming fifth find, at the moment. I think what you'll find, and I again, I have the all access at Perth Glory, so it's not hard for me to have these conversations. But I think you'll find from what Alex has said and, and Alex's personal belief towards this, and the other the other you know football writers and journals around. Um, the scene in WA, they've all kind of emulated the same thing that actually one of the reasons Perth went by so well was because they ha- faced the adversity of losing literally the golden boot winner in the league and they adapted to become a really good attacking force and their discipline got a lot better because they 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 realized they had to work the rest of the season without that presence there. And that's what made them even better. It's what made them even more, you know, really kind of... um. I'm not sure what word you can put towards it, but just like some some kind of, um, you know, like the the resilience of facing that adversity and coming out better for it. I'm sure I'm sure there's some kind of you know, <laughs> my vocabulary. Just Look, I'm not a professor of, of English, so I probably couldn't feeling. come up no, with it myself. But no, I understand you know, exactly you what you know mean. The point that I'm I'm trying to make. 
And I think resilience is one word that you can certainly use to describe the way that they came back and the way they built themselves into that force. Canberra. Did Canberra go through any type of adversity? Would they have been a totally different side? And when those inconsistencies have been quashed, had they gone through some type of adversity? If if and I'm being serious here, and I know it's a very, very stupid thing to say, but if a, a Michelle Heymanless Canberra is playing this whole season, are they actually better for it? Um, well, it depends. Like you talk about Riley Bazin, then naturally yeah. you'd say they're a better side with her in it. But obviously, the resilience they had in her injury did galvanize something in the side. If you're losing Michelle Heyman halfway through a season, maybe, yeah, maybe it does spark something inside and spark another player to come in and step up. But if you're talking about starting and finishing a season without Michelle Heyman and you just didn't have her in the squad, well, no. No, Michelle no, Heyman's but, but one of, if not the best striker the in the league. The adversity and the resilience is my point. Like you, you need you need Michelle Heyman to kick seven goals in seven games before you can rebuild in that way. I'm just saying, if if they actually had an overwhelmingly negative thing happen, would they come out better for it? And honestly, my vibe with Canberra is when you win those games four 0 against the helpless Jets or you know breeze past Brisbane, can you can you actually take that to the next level? Can you show up for those big games? And the issue is that they can't because they don't know how because they're too over reliant on. And I hate to name these three. <laughs> But, you know, Grace Mars and Grace Jarvis and 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 uh, Michelle Heyman, someone like Ellie Brosh, like these players exist for a reason. I don't know if that's team. an unfair statement. You did, they did have a nice win. Well, they did have a nice win against Sydney FC until it was overturned. But mm. that is an example of them stepping up in a big game. They were undefeated against Melbourne Victory this season as well. Mm. The only reason why they lost that f- or drew that first game was a Casey Dumont masterclass. So in a way, they yeah. maybe it's just that lack of a winning edge in those games, but I don't know if I'd say that they just haven't shown up for those either. I, I see your point. I just don't know if I agree with your wording. Well, my my particular reference, and I don't think you have to stray very far to realize what I'm referring to. I'm referring to when they lost 5-0 to the Wellington Phoenix. Okay, uh, that's not a game against a big team. No disrespect to Wellington Phoenix. No, no, it's not a game against a big team, but it's it's their lo- it's it's the lows I'm referring to. It's 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 the 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 negative side of that team that can come out. And look, I I it was going to happen eventually. Someone in the league this season was going to come up to that trip, going out to an over, having an overseas trip for the first time in the A League Women's, and how and reacting poorly to it. And Canberra was probably unlikely maybe, to maybe, do it. but why? Why did those particular factors affect Canberra in such a heavy, such a strong way? And the answer That's to a that great question. question, the the answer to that question is the reason why Canberra are not a top four side. There is mentality around it in those maybe tougher situations. Hmm. Hmm. Exactly. Interesting. Man, I love it when we agree. <laughs> if anyone's listened to any of the other podcasts we've done through Front Page Football, you see me and Matt have struggled to um, agree we've on different topics. struggled a to- lot, actually. Topics. Yeah. And um, our, our, our conversations have gotten quite heated mm. in a way, especially, um, so there was the under-20s one, under-20s World Cup uh, conversation that yeah. I was I still borderline insulted. Yeah. And then last, well, one we recorded on Sunday night where... We really argued about something pointless. I don't know why we spent so long on that. I just really wanted to get my back up on it. But um, look, we'll move on. That's daily men's talk. You can there's podcasts where you can listen to that through front page football as well. But yeah, look, I do understand your point on Canberra. Yeah, maybe it might have been a mentality issue. But I'll pose this to you as well with Perth Glory. Let's just say Riley Basin doesn't go through that injury. Let's just say she's there for what they what is meant to be their rise as the season goes on. Do they hit the same heights as they do? Does Riley Basin still end up with the golden boot or in that race? Are they are they better off or worse off? I think 
yeah, I I think you're still looking at a very similar dynamic where they're fifth and they can't make things. And I t- I tried to convince myself preseason this is a top four team, this is a top four team. It's not. Just, just objectively, like I'll it's be not. honest, coming into this season, I thought they'd actually struggle to make a top six. But that might have Why? been my lack of knowledge around their visa signings. I wasn't expecting Riley Bazin well, to be such an important player. Yeah, I mean Sierra Henson. Oh, Sierra Henson! Sorry, Riley everyone Bazin knows her quality. She was in the league last season. She tore it up. She's a very, very good striker. I just wasn't sure. I thought it was mainly okay. going to be a thing of teams around <laughs> them improving. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, what, what? Who particular are you referring to? Oh, I'm more talking. I'm Riley Bazin very much in particular. Okay. I thought I didn't realize okay. how right, good okay. and how important she would be. And I also probably mm-hmm. made the mistake of overestimating certain teams in particular, Adelaide United. So that doesn't help anything there when they yeah, come into you, the competition. And... Yeah, pre, pre-season, that probably would have been fair. My question is, and Canberra as well, you probably would have had... Were you, so you, you picked Perth like 8th or ninth? is my guess? Probably 7th, yeah. Okay. So Brisbane, Brisbane, Adelaide, Canberra? Brisbane, Adelaide, and then the top four as it is. Canberra, I had even lower. I thought Canberra, I was basing it very much off last season where they really struggled to get going. Very, very, very much of a stake. It's why I really try to make myself, make a point of not calling myself an expert because I do have some horrendous takes sometimes. But no, I did okay. pick the top four. That's okay. I, I get too defensive and that's probably why I was on the verge of tipping, tipping Perth as a top four team. But <laughs> I, look, yeah, I just, I didn't doubt a lot of the quality in that team. And I still think that on their day, much like Canberra, on their day, you know it's going to be a very, very good day. Um, and there's a few results that come to mind. Um, more of those results at Macedonia Park than what the team would probably like to admit. They, they can't quite flex like the men's team can. They didn't make it a fortress in that way. But they still made it a very tough and, and earnest trip. And I think that they can um, yeah, they can, they can keep their heads held high and say that, that they, at the very least, met their minimum expectation, which would have been fifth or sixth. But the fact that Alex and the team want to call it a minimum expectation is probably quite mind-blowing for a lot of people. And that's where that's where I'm not surprised because it was probably my minimum expectation as well. You know what I mean? Um, no, and and look, is, at the end of the day, yeah. we talked about Newcastle Jets and the situation they're in where they're not a club showing a lot of ambition at the moment. Mm. Perth saying fifth or sixth is a minimum expectation for us and the goal will be to push in top four. It's quite the opposite where... Fans can take solace in the fact that, okay, yeah, this season we just missed out, but we're showing ambition. We're trying, at the very least, to push into that status quo, into that top four, where I think everyone kind of understands. And we've said it on the podcast before, there is a big four forming in the A-League women's. There's definitely a big three there already, and a big four is kind of developing, especially Western United can continue and build off this next season. And from what I've heard as well, it does look like next season it will be a top six in the finals. And I do see Canberra and Perth as sides that, yeah, they might not have the quality to push into the top four, but come finals time, they've got the, they've got the quality 11 v 11 to ruffle some feathers in that, in that stage of the competition. And anyway, looking ahead from that big four, although the top three is the ones that are breaking away, there is a premiership race on our hand. If we're going to start looking forward mm. to what's coming for the next couple of weeks. Um, Sydney FC, Western United definitely look like the front runners, and it's going to be a battle between the both of them for it. City, dark horses. I'm not sure. What do you think? Um, I mean, they're, they're definitely for, not out of it, but yeah, for for a premiership, you, you never want to write a Melbourne City women's team off of anything, quite frankly. And and I think the biggest issue that you have right now is Western United probably 
are giving a bit of a false dawn in terms of their ceiling really being their ceiling. Um, is is that a harsh thing to say? Because I, I still don't think they're premiership premiership material, and it's probably going to take them until the, the very last hurdle um, for us to to either be proven right or wrong on that. So for the fact that it's just Western, Western are the ones that have held first for so long. Um, that's where I don't want to write Melbourne City off, but of course if you, that does mean that Sydney are the overwhelming favourite. That's where that's where I'm at on the dynamic. I don't know about you. Oh, look, if you're looking at the gap between Sydney and City, mm. um, Melbourne City are five points behind. They've got two games to play. City have Sydney have three games. So City, very very much in it by the skin of their teeth. Look, City have actually Perth and Canberra left to play. Western United. Uh, different story with them. They play Canberra and the Wanderers. So Sydney obviously have that midweek game against Perth that they've got to play. It would take for City to get back into this uh, calamitous effort from both West United and Sydney FC to actually have a chance of winning the Premier's plate for City. I don't know if that's going to happen. I think it's probably too much of a stretch for them. But like you said, you, you can't really count them out. They just have this aura about them where they deserve to be in and around the title chase. And yeah, exactly. No, they, they, they deserve to, to, to be there no matter what, because they're, 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 they're good of a football team. And historically speaking, they're that good of a program, um, with the, with the way that they, they sort of run and they operate in, in the short term, in the immediate of what's going on here. The thing that really gets me about this top four is the top four is so secluded and they're all such good teams that like anything or, or anyone can can on their day uh, do what they need to do. Now, bearing in mind, yeah, Canberra and Perth, the two teams that in a finals race and in the heat of the battle, you don't want to be facing, changes the dynamic a little bit. I probably would feel tempted to write City off <laughs> round about now, knowing, knowing the draw that's ahead of them. But the one thing that I, yeah, the one thing that I would say to that, Cody, is that, um, like, how much does the premiership matter? <laughs> Right, all four of these teams, we know that they can be champion quality teams. We know that they can win finals. We know that they can do what's required to win what we actually consider to be the championship title itself. So at that point, if you're Melbourne City, are you even in a position where you rest a few players, knowing that the Premier's plate is not your ultimate goal? Well, I think the biggest thing you're chasing is top two, and if City are in a position where they can't they can't attain that either, then you are probably looking at it and going. Okay, yeah, we'll rest players over the next couple of games, reconvene for finals because Sydney and what uh, Western, let them have the top two places. All it means is they play one team makes go straight to the grand final, the other plays the playoff. City win that first um semi final, which will most likely be against Melbourne Victory. They've got to play a team coming off the back of a loss and a team that they most likely have been competitive with all season is either a Sydney FC side that they had a good draw with on the weekend or. A Western United side that never faced without having both Rojas and McNamara on the pitch. That does make it a completely different game. And you're talking Western United. I don't want to say the um, loss of Jess McDonald has had a major effect on him, but City have grown in strength. Western United are slightly depleted. So it does create an interesting dynamic in how that, that would go. So, yeah, you are probably right. And it's looking at it going, if you're settling for third, it doesn't really mean much. At the end of the day, even winning the minor premiership and head to bring this up again. Doesn't guarantee you a home final either. Sydney's already won that no, race. No, it and doesn't. Off the pitch. It doesn't. But one thing that you might want to be mindful of: if Sydney somehow fail to um, win the Premier's plate, and Western United claim claim the Premier's plate, you're in a position where, as Melbourne City sitting in third, 
you play Sydney in the semi-final. You don't actually, therefore, have to travel for the grand final. You can base yourselves in Sydney for the week. Would they? Would they prefer? That? Well, if Sydney comes second and City came th- come third, City would play victory first and then play the loser of West United Sydney. Ah, uh, it's not a one v four, two v three system. No, no they're, they're there you go. There's me. There's me not knowing my way around the finals. <laughs> Fun. Oh, it's a three week final series, mate. Get with it. Nah, it's all good. Look, it it would be a good idea though if they. Well, unfortunately, they can't do that because it'll be Sydney. No, no, no. There's and... no. There's no. There's no point in setting it up on due merit because you. you could, we're going to Parramatta for the grand final anyway, right? Just no, but it, it. what you're saying could come about still because either way, um, whether Sydney's in or not, the grand final is going to be Parramatta. Yep. Whoever wins that third or fourth game, let's just say Sydney loses the first semi final, that second semi final will be in Sydney. Because Sydney will be hosting right, it, exactly. so you're traveling to Sydney. You can base yourself out there for the week. You're giving yourself, uh, you give yourself a decent training camp. The only issue that would probably come up with that: can the players get time off work? Because that's the con- that's a conversation you'd have with the league women's. I mean, <laughs> oh no, um, it, it comes back to professionalism, and it's what we're talking it, about yeah, before. The, we want a professional competition, so they can do stuff like part-time. that. Part time, the stuff on female wages and whatever else. I mean, yeah, you can you can have the whole conversation on it. I feel like in in sporting terms, a lot of you know a lot of these women they they work the kinds of jobs where you you more often than not can get exemptions and things like that. You know, I would like to think that it's accommodated for in some way. Um, you'd like to think so. You'd like it? to think so. You'd um, also like to think that if a player has enough yellow cards to be suspended, it's picked up. But is it? Yeah, look, the world doesn't work that way, does it? We don't we don't live in that world. It's actually a great full circle way to bring the podcast around. I'm going to be honest with you, Cody. It, it is, and I wish that's where we were ending it. But we've got one more topic we want to talk about because besides the premiership race, there is another race kind of going on at the other end of the table, and no one wants to win this one, but there is a bit of a wooden spoon race going on between Wellington Phoenix and Newcastle Jets, who we have already spoken about extensively on this podcast. Um, before we actually get into it, Wellington Phoenix... We, especially having that conversation around the Wanderers, we did talk a little bit about Wellington Phoenix and kind of compare them to that situation where people were harping on about the Wanderers and how poor they were, while Wellington Phoenix were kind of going under the radar with being almost not up to scratch to an A-League women's level, but especially since then, their results have gotten slightly better. They've gotten some wins on the board. They look like they're in games a lot more. They're not getting vastly outplayed. Um, the game on the weekend, Langman probably helped uh, Perth out a lot. Despite they prob- almost, they probably should have beat Perth. In all honesty, so yeah. and um, like you got players as well, like with Nooski, Foster, Barry, Taylor, who have really stepped up in a way. Hassett obviously came in as a very very good player. Brandon Edwards improved vastly this season, but you've got players that throughout the course of the season have taken their game to another level, and the Phoenix side has been better for it and. They're in a position now where they may end up finishing above Newcastle Jets. I don't know how you're seeing this. I think they've got a very yeah. good chance of doing so. I I think it's a good chance. And I think that, um, you know, for the quality of football that they've learned and grown around and molded themselves, I think the one thing you can really credit this team for is they had a pre-existing identity. They're working off that identity and they're actually showing progress. For a team that was formed in late 2021, they are showing a lot of progress and they're finally slowly but surely getting there. Um, and the, the podcast is going to come full circle because we're going to finish on the Jets and why the Jets are bad. And that's what we started with. So cool. Good. That's exactly what we started with too. Exactly. Yeah. So 
TLDR, Jets bad. That's the show. But um, I don't know the Phoenix. They're such a funny old team, aren't they? You you can you can get a good game out of them. You can get that result out of them. But let me pose the question to you this way: Are they still wooden spoon quality on the merits of the fact that they got through that Perth game dominating, but didn't actually create anything that was worthy of them actually coming out victorious? Look, I think. There's, there's, it's, it's a good question. I'm not denying that. I wouldn't say they're wooden spoon quality just based off that one fact. I think what that says more is that just they're, they're not deserving of being in the upper echelon of teams and pushing for finals and stuff like that. They are very much a mm. uh, lower end of the table team in that regard. There's still, yeah. as much as there is a lot to like about them, and in particular their style of play, I think, under Nat Lawrence, they took a bit of time to get going in that transition from Gemma Lewis, but once they did, they've they've looked very good since. But there is still a lot of improvement. I think one big area you can say, especially in the front third, and not necessarily just creating chances, but putting them away. I think if they had a real out-and-out goal scorer, they could be a very dangerous team. But I think that's something they just don't have at this very minute. Ava Pritchard, yeah. someone we've spoken about before, a lot of potential, but right now not performing that role for the side. Yeah, but I, I think you you look at certain players... Someone like Chloe Knott comes to mind where they've been going through the grind of playing at an A-League women's level for so long that they're actually just kind of figuring it out. And that's the reason why they're getting better as a team because they've they've grown and they've developed. And honestly, on its merit, that is actually like that that's actually just a really overwhelmingly positive thing. Um, and I guess the 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 counter to my original question would be how many situations have the Jets been in those games? Well, where many situations have Adelaide been? been in those games? It's it's yeah. a question you could ask a lot of teams. In all honesty, yeah. it, the it, thing it, is, it, when Adelaide Adelaide probably yeah. haven't had a problem creating. I think, those I think Adelaide's story Adelaide's story is different. It's more tragic and it's more set on certain individuals going through certain <laughs> certain periods and certain things and certain yeah. tough stages of their career. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I get what yeah. you mean there. Yeah. But look, and one thing about this little um, battle we've got going for wooden spoon, Wellington Phoenix and Newcastle Jets obviously play this weekend. So, if I just say Wellington win that, or even if they don't win that, Wellington still have the game in hand, so there's still an opportunity for them to catch up. Massive game for Newcastle because we've spoken about them a lot, and the last thing they'd want is to cap it all off with also finishing last. And Wellington Phoenix wouldn't want to finish last two years in a row. Yeah, do you remember remember we had this exact same conversation about the Wanderers and Phoenix game that they played in New Zealand as well? Um, Yeah, both teams have done pretty well since then. Wanderers obviously a little bit better. Totally well since then. I just, I just wonder if, if, if the Phoenix that we know can show up shows up, um, and if, uh, if the Jets kind of, kind, kind of sort of prove, prove their resolve, um, do we basically have a fixture that confirms the wooden spoon? And you would honestly have to answer that with yes. And it'd be interesting about relegation as well because but, that would be a massive but, fixture in yeah, that regard. But that's be, a whole but, other ball game. We won't no, get into that too far. Women's the women's football infrastructure is not, in, not in place to have anything even remotely like that. But um, the National League reforms, can I, can I use New Zealand as an example? The National League reforms that happened in New Zealand really, really fixed the men's program. And there was a very healthy competition in the women's pro- uh, sorry, in, in, in different levels of, of men's grassroots football in New Zealand. The women's league there still had to run off like a pseudo franchise model for a little while. And it was pretty rough, even though it was the newly rebranded National League. So women's football in New Zealand sort of really struggling to get there. Uh, I just thought I'd mention it because yeah, if if there was if there was relegation and the Phoenix had to go back to the National League, oh boy. Oh, oh. 
It's a so, tough one. Um, it is a tough one. But... I mean, we could be talking about Auckland having having an A League women's team by like 2025, 2026. That's actually a pretty pretty daunting prospect, if you ask me. I, <laughs> I think that, really look, that's journey. probably a topic for another day because I, no, I have a lot of questions about that. But we we can yeah. save that for another time. I even save it for one of our FPF longer form podcasts as well because I think that's actually a very interesting conversation to have. But we'll look at the little battle that we've got going on between us. And yeah. if you had to pick between Newcastle Jets or Wellington Phoenix with yeah, who you we're, been... we're both we're both firmly in the camp of dipping the Phoenix and the Jets are probably the favorites for the spoon now, right? And would you think that's deserved? Yes. Okay, yeah. So we're both on the same same green to that. I... Well, we've spent the whole week with knives at each other's throats. So I think it's high time we agreed on something. Friends. <laughs> Football friends. <laughs> finally, finally we have reunited again and look it's not just that we spent all week. Also, sorry, look, look, sorry to um, in between us fans out there. We both just like severely butchered that, but I think we're both <laughs> kind of very tired and we have day jobs and leave us alone. Yeah, look, um, it's 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 seven o'clock where you are. It ain't that late. Yeah, but at least I said the actual time and not like three o'clock in, in the afternoon or some you, stupid shit like you've, that. You've got me on that one, but I'm still allowed to be tired at 7 p.m. It's not illegal to be tired at 7 p.m. To be p. fair, you do start work a lot earlier than me, so I, 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 I will, I will give you that one. Now. So, yeah. I, I, will, you, I will give you that one. You've got to be up a, a lot earlier in the morning than what can I do. We, can, we, can we actually finish with the Jets so that the <laughs> conversation does come full circle? Because I, I, really, I was really honest on that. Yeah, look, what I was trying to say in that regard is we've also spent a lot of time, not just on this podcast and in the last week or two, or we, ever since we started Front Page Dub, we've been extremely critical of the Jets. So it would be quite surprising if we turned around and said, oh, they don't deserve to finish last. No, they do. They're the one team that we've come here and lambasted on the podcast. Hold on, we've lambasted three teams in particular, and now that lambastation is at its final point. It's... It's the top of the mountain. It's, it's the yeah. ultimate okay, so lambastation. Jets... But what I'm trying to say is we had a go at West Sydney Wanderers. Yeah. They rose up pretty quick since. We yes. had a go at Adelaide. It took a little while, but they ended up going afterwards as well. Mm-hmm. We had some words about Canberra, I believe, and that after their um pretty poor losses, like I don't know if I've gotten that one mixed up. But they then turned things around and they've almost made a push for the top four. Mm-hmm. Newcastle Jets, we have lambasted continuously. But it's still shit. Yeah, and you know, look, let me actually do do something a little bit weird under the circumstances and say that the Jets have one player. No, do you know what? We definitely have had this conversation. We, I'm actually missing. We have had this conversation about the the, the the Jets players that we actually like and and their their mode of actually going forward in some significant way. And I think I said at the time, and I'll I'll happily say this again because we're sort of reaching end of season um, kind of vibes. If Tara Andrews played for any other team in the league, she would be elite. She is she is a very, very good footballer. The issue with Tara Andrews is she's Newcastle through and through, and she's had to put up with some really, really dog shit teams throughout her career. And and that that's ultimately like the position where this game is at, is you look at certain individuals and you're like, yeah, I like what's going on there. But you look around the pitch. And all of those individuals don't combine into anything meaningful. And that is at the heart of Newcastle's problems. Um, and that's what I mean. I don't want to... I'd go as far as to say both coaches are actually pretty all right. I mean, we know who Gary Van Engelman is. Um, you know, we know his style. The, the personal conversation that I had with him when the Jets were away to Perth. You know, I, I know that he's someone with a very level head and he understands so much about what it means to be in that position, right? Um, Nat Lawrence is really embraced being the manager of the Phoenix. 
But the reason why the end product really sucks for, for both managers in this particular case is just because the whole system that they're heavily involved with is a little bit rotten and sort of constructed in not the best way. The admin at both of these clubs is overwhelmingly the reason why they're having this dogfight for the spirit. I mean, I, I firmly believe that these teams have been set up to fail in their current guys. I think so, that's something I would like to put on the record because we are pretty harsh now. Criticism we said it about the it out, well. And sometimes it's deserved. But, and yeah. look, I think it's especially a thing with Newcastle Jets, especially when Riley Dobson made the comments that she did. A lot of their fans yeah. really came out and came in support of their players. And I'm not saying fans shouldn't do that because if you've got a love for the club, you want to stick up for them if you think something's wrong. And I've got full respect yeah. for that. But people coming out and bringing harsh criticism about your club doesn't necessarily mean it's a personal attack at the players either, no matter how they word it. And mm-hmm. if anything, it can bring the issues that your club's facing to light because, yeah, if we like, we can sit here and say, oh, Newcastle Jets are run poorly and no one's going to bat night. But if someone's going to go on a podcast and say, oh, Newcastle Jets would have been better playing 11 puppies, people take notice of that. And yeah. as much as people, the first thing people are going to say is either, one, that's very rude, or two, that's very funny, it does translate to a conversation of, hey, maybe this club isn't is severely underperforming. And yeah. even when we talk, it's never really a personal attack of players. There's players in Newcastle Jets that can play football. I think, and... I think we, more generally, most of the shows we do for FPF, I think we avoid just using individuals and involve in, sort of avoid getting into the real nuts and bolts and roots of tactical football and tactical analysis on an individual basis for that exact reason. We're not, we're not here to get the pitchforks out and point them at individuals. Maybe we're here to talk about it on, on a broad, on a broader scale. And that's what we do. And, so but right. look, the issue is that we're like, yeah, hundred we're not here to really delve into things tactically. I don't think, Either of us are the sort of people that you want to hear tactics from. You'd look at pundits. You look at people that have been in the, involved in the game for that sort of stuff. We hmm. provide general commentary and we almost just try to hold people accountable for how things are going as well, I guess, in a way. Yeah. But I could point out players like Murphy Agnew and Lauren Allen as well in that Newcastle Jets side who are performing at a good level. Cass Davis as well probably shouldn't. She's, you want to talk about Newcastle through and through. That's someone that we really can't discredit. But hmm. the criticism that we've that I don't think you could ignore is how the club's run. And yes, there is the ownership issue, but there's still administrators within the club that probably could do a better job than what they are now. And it's up to them that whatever limited resources they have, they still make the most of it because at the end of the day, and I bring, I bring back to the fans that are so vehemently defending their club on social media. They're the ones that you're doing it for. They're mm. the ones that deserve better. They're the ones that deserve it doesn't necessarily need to be a successful team that's winning winning every game week in, week out. But you do need you do as a football club need to be offering those people a certain standard of football. And that's where I think Newcastle Jets is lacking at the moment. Yeah. And no, that's exactly it. You have a responsibility. And the organization does not take that responsibility to heart. And dare I say, we have reached the full circle. Let me start. Let me end the show with something that I started the show with, right? It is an administrative problem. And when you talk about the administration, you talk about people that are paid to run the club that don't even technically run the club because they're in that much of a shit show. And that's what's supposed to run and fund this whole women's program. And the women's program isn't even the main footballing department. Can you can you see like, like that? Like when I just literally just say what the dynamic is you're like oh yeah 
Of, of course, that is not a, an organization and a football team that's set up to be run well. Like, it, it does feel like they are in a position where they're set up to fail, and a wooden spoon will probably be the ultimate culmination of that. And yeah. as we say that, I think that's where we end. We've got that's everything that we have covered for today. Um, do you have any parting comments? If look, if if you're a rich person, if 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 you own a company, or maybe you're an investment banker, or maybe you have an equity fund, and you live anywhere south of Indonesia. The Newcastle Jets are interested, okay? Oh my god. Look, you know what? It's not wrong. If you're if you've got a lot of money, I'd love to win the lotto and buy a football club. I don't know if you're allowed <laughs> to do that, but I'd, I'd definitely do it. If I won the lotto tomorrow, I'm probably buying the Newcastle Jets and they will become the best team in Asia, both in the men's and women's. But anyway, that is all we have time for. Give the Newcastle Jets fans what they deserve. I'm Cody Adrieta. I've been joined by Matt Olson. This has been Front Page Dub. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hopefully it's a bit shorter than what you're used to. And we will see you in a fortnight after the regular season is finished. We've got some exciting stuff in store for your final series. Make sure you tune in to see.